Welcome to Who's the Best with me, Sandro Manetti. This is the podcast that debates and decides the top pop culture icons. Today I'm especially excited because we're discussing my favourite show, Doctor Who. What was your earliest childhood memory? Maybe it was a hug from your mother, a favourite Christmas present. Not me. It was hiding behind the sofa in Blackpool as the Dalek shouted, Exterminate! at Tom Baker's Doctor. What a show. This mad time traveller in a box now fascinates people the world over. The show started on 23rd of November 1963, just hours after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And now it really continues to fascinate people all over the planet. And it sparked the big debate... Who's the best doctor? From the schoolyard to the planet Scaro, it's a question that dominates time and space. I'm here to answer it for you today in the company of insiders, experts, fellow fans and special guests. The 13 stars to have played the Time Lord on screen are William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi and Jodie Whittaker. Splendid chaps, all of them, to quote the Brigadier. So, later in the show, we will uh, get some expert opinions. We'll be hearing from actress Michelle Collins, we'll be hearing from the voice of the Daleks, Nicholas Briggs, and we'll be hearing from Legends of Tomorrow actress Amy Louise Pemberton. And at the end of the show, we'll hear from the winning doctor, him or herself. But first, debating with me who's the best Doctor Who is an accomplished actor who was actually cast as Doctor Who, only to lose the part five minutes later. <coughs> Harry Van Gorkum. It was actually two weeks, actually, Sandra, not five minutes. It took two weeks, all right? Not that he's bitter. And a brilliant comedian uh, all the way from Ireland, my tip to be the 14th Doctor, Emma Pine. Hello, yeah, I actually slept in David Tennant's bed. What? Sadly, so, he what? was not in it at the what? time. He was not in it at the oh. time. What were the, the circumstances? Well, I actually, I rented a, a, a flash of his girlfriend in London. Oh, so he wasn't there. So he wasn't there at the time, but oh. he used to come home and stay there. Well, Harry, um, <laughs> follow that. <laughs> Sounds like a bit of a bed warmer. <laughs> um, thank you for that. Uh, more from Emma later. Uh, so tell us this story about how you were nearly cast as, as Doctor Who. I remember it was the mid-90s. The mm. Americans were doing Doctor Who in a co-production with the BBC. And uh, you got the part, sort of. No, no sort of, Sandra. In this case, no sort of at all. Mm. Um, yes, I went for the audition. I was doing a TV show over here called First Time Out. I was playing, funny enough, a womanizing hairdresser, so I had very long hair at the time. And I went to audition for Doctor Who, which was a huge um, thrill for me because, as you said, I mean, my memories as a child were hiding behind the couch as the Daleks came out. Oh, same out. as me. You'd, same had, as you'd, you'd grown up obsessed you. with Doctor Who. Obsessed. Yeah. Loved it. Uh, the, 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 my, my big villains were the Cybermen. I hated the Cybermen. They would scare me and give me nightmares. But I adore Doctor Who because Doctor Who's a fascinating character to play. I mean, he's 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 everyone. He's a multiple personality. He's he's funny. He's terrifying. He's scary. He's powerful. He's he, hyper intelligent. 
So to play this part, I went in and just did my version of the Doctor. And very quickly, actually, that's unusual in Hollywood, because usually if you go for this kind of role, it takes seven or eight to ten auditions to get to the, to the final consideration point. But I think for this only I did three or four auditions. And, and, and by the fourth audition, uh, Philip Saville and Philip Siegel and Jeffrey Sachs was also involved. Mm-hmm. They called me in for a workshop before I went for my final what's called network meeting when you basically do it in front of the Fox network. And we worked on it for about a day. And I was surprised that I was the only one actually going into network. Usually you go to network and you're up against two or three other actors. Um, And network is the final stage. It's a terrifying process in Hollywood where you actually sign the contract before you go in to do the job. So you are signing seven or eight years of your life away to do this part with a guarantee of the money you're going to make for seven or eight oh, years. Oh, that must have sounded good. Oh, it, it's, 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 it's an unreal figure. And so before you even go and audition, you have this weight on your shoulders anyway, thinking if I get this, this is my life changing. How much was it? You have to tell us. Uh, it was more than $250,000, you know, for the... For per the, episode. Per, per, <laughs> per, per, for the, per for the year, whole seven years. Year. Yeah, it's almost year. as much as the Friends cast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, so I went and did it, and I had very little nerves about it. And then I went back to my trailer, funnily enough, where I was you know, shooting this other show. And within an hour, I got a phone call from my manager saying, um, you, um, you've got Doctor Who. Wow. What a moment. And I remember falling to my knees in my trailer, literally. I, actually, this sounds very dramatic, but... You started when, praying. Whenever you, whenever you do a pilot or do a pilot audition, which I've done a few of, you wait and wait and wait to hear to get the phone call. You haven't got it. It's gone to somebody else. But in this case, I really didn't think I was going to get it. And especially something like Doctor Who, you have no thought in your head you'll get Doctor Who. So when he told me, I actually collapsed to my knees and I, you know, I, 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 I cried a bit and I was kind of shocked. And he said, yes, you, you, they, they love you. You are Doctor Who for Fox. And um, you start filming in Vancouver in, in, in a month. What could possibly go wrong? Ugh. The BBC got involved. I won't mention the head of the BBC at the time. Alan Yentop. Yep, that's him. Apparently, they, they called him up and said to him that we have found Doctor Who. He's Harry Van Gorkum. Alan Yentop's reply was, Harry who? Never heard of him. He can't be Doctor Who. Because the reason I left, Amer- I left England to come to America as an actor was, was that I felt there was this very strong thing called the British Boys Club, which I nicknamed the BBC, because unless you were on their list of people they liked, you weren't going to work for the BBC. And I wasn't on that list. So I came to America to make it here. And as a result, it kind of backfired on me because the one big part I got went back to the BBC and they said, no, no, we want Paul McGann. I mean, Paul McGann, oh, he's great. I love him. I think he's a great actor. And to be honest, Harry, I think you might have been a bit too good looking. Thank you, you very know? much, Emma. I mean, it's very good kind. Part. I mean, Doctor Who you wasn't you're, a sexy part. So anyway, this goes on for two or three weeks. I had to go back and put myself on tape that evening for Alan Yentob, so they could then take the tapes over to the BBC to show them the tapes. Alan Yentob refused to look at the tapes for two weeks. So I'm back in London with my family and stuff for Christmas, waiting to see if I'm going to fly to Vancouver or or fly back to LA as a normal person. You've been rejected by someone who hasn't even seen your performance, just just based on the fact that he's never heard of you. Because he's never heard of me. Yes. So, So in the end, someone very high up in Fox flew out to Alan Yentob and said, you must look at this tape. We've got to, you've got to at least look at it. So Alan Yentob, in the end, agreed to look at it and begrudgingly said, yes, he is a very good doctor, but we need a big name in it, therefore, 
to make it work to bring it back to England. Which is kind of a change, because if you look at when Tom Baker got the part, he was working on a building site uh, the the day before and wasn't a a household name. Uh, But Paul McGann's not a big name in America either. He wasn't a big name in America, but for the BBC to bring... Because the BBC thought that if the film... If if it worked in America, they'd bring it back and introduce Doctor Who again Mm. to English audiences... Paul McGann was a big name in England then. It was a, he was a recognisable name. Yeah. I mean, the McGann brothers were in everything in England. You know, there were four of them and they were on every TV show. So they were well-known. They were British boys. You know, they knew what was going on. So anyway, in the end, they got Eric Roberts to play the bad guy. And these were phone calls going backwards and forwards to me with Jeffrey Sachs saying, okay, we, we, we're good. They, you know, he's looked at the tape. He loves you. If we get Eric Roberts to play the bad guy, then it's a go-ahead. Because then they've got a name. Then they've got a name. Playing the master. So they got yeah. to, to playing the master. So they got Eric Roberts to do it, so we're all good. And then I think about five days before I was about to head off to Vancouver, I got a phone call from Jeffrey Sachs saying, this is the worst phone call I'm going to have to make, and you're going to get this phone call probably five or six times again in your career. But the BBC have turned around and said, if you don't use Paul McGann, we will draw our money. Oh, God. So the BBC there, so they were forced to use an actor they didn't want to use. And he said, it's your role, you should have had it, and it'll happen again. And I'm, I'm aware that's how Hollywood, Hollywood works, but in that case, it really, it really, it stung. really, it's, it stunk. It should have been you, Harry, what can I say? It, it should have been, been you, Harry. It should have been you. But it wasn't. And <laughs> Paul McGann continues to play the Doctor now in the Big Finish audio dramas. We're going to hear in a moment from the executive producer of Big Finish, not to rub it in. Uh, that's uh, Nicholas Briggs. And Nicholas Briggs not only plays the voice of the Daleks in the audios, but has done uh, for the more than the past decade on Doctor Who, on the TV series. He's a childhood fan of Doctor Who who now gets to live his dream by making the show such a big part of his life. I asked him how and why he became such a big fan of Doctor Who. It's such a privilege to be involved in Doctor Who because I love Doctor Who so much and have loved it for as long as I can remember. I often wonder what my feelings about Doctor Who would be now if my parents had been more supportive of it, but I was always... um mocked for it and they would always desperately try to sort of break me of the habit of Doctor Who and I suppose maybe if I hadn't had to sort of persist in the face of their lack of enthusiasm maybe it wouldn't be so ingrained in me now um, I, I mean, I do know that, you know, when I finally got the gigs, the voice of the Daleks, my mother said to me, oh, all those funny noises coming out of your bedroom. No tittering at the back, please. You know, it came to something, didn't it? Because I was endlessly sort of trying out ways of doing Dalek voices and making funny sound effects. So Doctor Who is um, also, bizarrely for me, a sort of vindication of an, in inverted commas, wasted childhood, concentrating on nonsense. No such thing as a wasted childhood. Then I asked his theory on why this great show endures. A lot of people have been asked why Doctor Who endures, and I can only, from my perspective, offer this. The real world, even for a small child, can get complicated and confusing, but there's great certainty in Doctor Who's fight of good versus evil. It's a very... you can tell who's on which side. And the certainty of that narrative, that's the thing that draws you in. I suppose that's one of the reasons why I was sort of fascinated by the Daleks. They're so thoroughly hateful. But I was also fascinated with them right from the start. It's weird that I now, you know, make some of my living um, actually playing them. 
But by getting to live that dream, uh, he gets recognised uh, and not always where he wants to be recognised, especially famous in Cardiff train stations. Interestingly, uh, playing them, even though I don't get seen on camera, it's given me a certain amount of notoriety, uh, not least in Cardiff, where Doctor Who is filmed. And there was a point, I remember going to film there once and uh, there was someone working in a cafe at Cardiff Station who, you know, was a Doctor Who fan. And uh, they served me a, a coffee and then said, oh, the Daleks are back then, Nick. And so, you know, it's a kind of giveaway for some people, for a, a certain <laughs> a number of people, if I'm seen in Cardiff. And it's because of this, dare I say it, notoriety that my latest Dalek episode, um, Resolution, which was on the New Year, it was all done on ADR, you know, post-production recording, rather than me being on set in Cardiff, because they were worried that if I was spotted uh, in Cardiff, the story would be out. People say, oh, so there are Daleks. But yes, so I was a slight victim of my own um, minor notoriety. That's Nicholas Briggs, voice of the Daleks, and we'll be hearing from him again later when he gives his opinion on who's the best, Doctor Who. Now, now you say the voice of the Daleks. I'm a bit confused. I'm, it doesn't take much, mm. right? <laughs> but, but, but you say the voice of the Daleks, that... Nicholas Briggs, that's not the voice of the Daleks I know and remember. Well, it's his beautiful, mellifluous voice. He's a working actor, and uh, but he, as the Daleks, he uh, he uses his ring modulator. His ring modulator. Yes, it's what? a it's a special voice altering device which that? makes you say exterminate through what, a what ring it, modulator. He, he wears it? it in his pants. Does, exactly. Does he <laughs> sit you, on Emma. it? Does he sit on it? And how did, does that affect his voice? I mean, what? he sits in the studio or the ADR room and he goes, "Harry Van Gorka <laughs> must die." <laughs> so it just alters your your voice. Now, one more question. Yes. So he says he used to go on set. To do the voice of the Daleks, mm -hmm. which is kind of unusual because the Daleks, they haven't got a mouth that opens and closes and moves. So you can do it all in ADR, you know, additional dialogue. But they have afterwards. lights that flash. So, you know, ah. in a crowd of Daleks, which one is speaking because the, the lights so flash. So he, he sits there with his ring modulator. And as the Dalek flashes, he goes, I well exterminate you. Well, actually, is. he gives each of the Daleks personalities. He gives them names like Peter and Brian and, and Duncan. Does he really? He names them after the original actors who were inside the Daleks as their operators because, like uh, the rest of us, he's a huge Doctor Who fan. He's a super fan. He actually knows the, the names, names of the people who are operating the Daleks, and he makes notes on his script when it's a crowd scene of Daleks to say, oh, Barry would say it like this, Dave would say do. it like some that. Had, some that had higher voices, some that had lower voices. You can actually tell which Dalek was speaking because they did have different vocal ranges. Yes, it's not an impression, it's an acting performance and he's had some of the best reviews of his career for the most recent episode, uh, <laughs> Resolution. So, uh, yeah, really? all the things he's done in his career. And uh, yeah. And uh, more from Nick later when he'll be explaining his favourite Doctor Who and why. Uh, but first, Emma, she's going to share with us four facts she's discovered about Doctor Who. But 
only three of them are correct. Harry, she's now going to try and fool us and test our Impossible. Doctor Who knowledge. Uh, three of these, I know, I know. Good luck. Go Come for on, Emma. Emma. Try. Save three you from the experts. Give us what, your best. Three, what are our four facts? Three facts. Well, four facts. Three truths and one lie. Uh, okay. Let's see. Let's see if you can get this. Fact number one: Peter Capaldi is the only Doctor Who star to have won an Oscar. Number two, Hugh Grant was offered the Doctor Who role when the series returned to TV for its new era. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Dalek. That's what I was thinking. Uh, uh, you know, could, uh, could, could we, we negotiate? You know, it's like, in, 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 in the words of David Partridge when he was still with the Partridge family, I, I, I think I'm scared of you. Okay, fact number three. Michael yeah. Jackson Do we need to nearly. Go on? <laughs> Michael Jackson. What? what? Michael Jackson nearly played the Doctor in a movie. Oh my you're, gosh! You Dalek, no. you're a bad man. You're no. a bad man. I'm the Doctor. I'm the Doctor. I'm the Doctor. Follow me through time and space. And fact four: When John Pertwee died. His ashes were blasted into outer space by rockets. What a way oh, to go! What a that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. So we've got to guess which so one is... So what do we uh, think, guys? Yeah, what's the which false one, which one? Which one's false? Um, oh, well. <laughs> um, Capaldi, Oscar. Yeah, um, I actually know that one's that one's true. That's true. Um, it was... He directed a short film called Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life. I remember Richard E. Grant that. was in it. Yeah, Richard E. Grant. Um, his oh, first brush Richard with e. the Oscars. Yep. And Peter Capaldi, I think that was... That was around the time you were failing to get the Doctor Who role. I think it was like in the mid-90s. <laughs> no, mid I don't yeah. know if you remember the period, oh, Harry. Harry. I didn't fail. Yeah, Harry. Sorry, sorry. It was taken from me. It was taken, it was taken <laughs> from me. Snatch from my grasp. All years I out of his know. life. There's such trauma. Such trauma. The Are you in therapy Capaldi now? The one yeah. was, was, so that's, was that's true. true. So we've got uh, Hugh Grant was nearly the Doctor, Michael Jackson was nearly the Doctor, oh, and dear. John Pertwee's ashes into, in, into space. No, I believe John Pertwee would send his ashes into space. Personally, I think it's because he loved playing the Doctor so much, and he was a bit of a NASA NASA lover. I I can't believe that Michael Jackson was ever considered for Doctor Who. So I that's going to be my my guess. What do you think is is well? The, I, I'd is, like is, to go with it. I can't go with the same. So I will go with you can uh, go with the same. I can. I, yeah. I'll go with Michael Jackson was a lie. So Emma, I think we're in agreement yes. on yes. what the lie is. There's no way. Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson was considered please. for the role of Doctor Who and nearly played it in a movie. Don't tell us it's true, please. Yes, don't tell us it's true. Please. Well, um, Peter Capaldi did win an Oscar. Yep, we I'm, know that. Yes, obviously, yep. yeah. Um, Hugh Grant, that's uh, 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 correct as well. Gosh. <laughs> oh, this will be when Christopher Eccleston got it. So actually, Hugh Grant turned it yes, down. Yes, exactly. Really? And goodness. actually, when Paramount were trying to get the rights, they were... Thinking no, of Mike, Michael Jackson, no. they had Michael Jackson so in mind. True? Yeah, no. that's actually true. <laughs> no. So Can John you believe Pertwee's that? ashes weren't blasted and, into outer space by rocket. Oh. John Pertwee's ashes were not blasted into outer oh, space by rocket. That was Scotty from Star Trek, that's James Doohan. He James did Owen actually did blast James his ashes into outer space. That's a really oh, cool yeah. thing to do. I, I, I think I want to do that. Really? I know. Before I'm even How, dead. What would you like to do? <laughs> what would you like to do with your ashes? He just said. I would like them to be. To, used as the basis for a religion called Sandroism, and they would be worshipped by <laughs> millions of followers. And they'd smoke a little bit of you each night. Something if they like, paid. <laughs> Unlike and mine you... to be tipped over Paul McGann's head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not, not that he's bitter. <laughs> I like that, actually. I think I, I like the outer space thing. I think that's... Uh... 
Well, thank you, Emma. You, you've correctly fooled us. Um, wow. Uh, so now um, I'd like to introduce a clip of my recent chat with Michelle Collins, one Ooh. of Britain's most beloved actresses. You know her as Cindy Beale in EastEnders. She was also in Coronation Street, The Brilliant 2,000 Acres of Sky, and so many other shows. But of course, uh, she was also in an episode of Doctor Who with David Tennant. And that was uh, something of a thrill for her because she was a long-time fan. I asked her how and why Michelle became a fan of Doctor Who. When I was very, very young, I was, I suppose, a bigger fan because it used to terrify the life out of me. And like everybody else, I used to hide behind the sofas when the Daleks came on. Um, But um, as I got older, I wasn't such a huge fan. Um, But as I said, when Rossa T. Davis became involved, I was like, wow, I was so flattered to be asked to do it. Michelle's episode 42 was written, that's not the number of it, that's the name of it, uh, was written by Chris Chibnall, who is now showrunner of Doctor Who. I asked Michelle to remind us the concept of the episode. 42 was a great episode because 42 meant that it we, we it, it was actually 42 minutes from the beginning to the end of the episode, so it was all done in real time. And I was the captain of a spaceship, and we had 42 minutes before our engine... Uh, run out of fuel, and then we hit the sun. It sounds like she really enjoyed playing the role. I loved playing Kath McDonnell, the captain of the spaceship. I loved my costume. I had combat trousers, you know, a a vest, big Dot Martin boots. And, um, oh, they wouldn't let me wear any makeup. I always remember that. (laughs) I was like, what? No makeup? But actually, after a while, it was quite fun. It was just liberating. And it wouldn't have looked right if I had makeup on my face and lipstick running around, um, you know, like Lara Croft (laughs) in a spaceship. I then wanted to know what Michelle remembered most about the episode. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, coming up if you've not seen it. As you can imagine, uh, the spaceship, we had to be really, really hot. And we did it in, I think it was round about February, end of February time, March. And it was, we did it in Wales, in Pontypridd, which is just outside Cardiff. And we did it in a disused factory. All I remember, it was freezing cold. And I was supposed to be very hot and very sweaty. So they used to put baby oil all over me to look like I was sweating and in my hair. I actually dyed my hair brown because I really wanted to sort of channel my inner Sigourney Weaver. And I got to run around a lot and and have really good fun and work with some really fantastic actors. I think it took us roughly about two to three weeks to shoot that episode because obviously we had to do a lot of... um, green blue screen stuff I don't think they call it blue screen stuff now spoiler and sadly I died at the end of the episode I got uh, sucked out of the ship <gasps> so there ain't no going back for me <laughs> no finally I wanted to know who is Michelle's favourite doctor so I think out of all the 13 doctors David Tennant is my favourite doctor obviously because he's the only doctor I got to work with but I just really liked him I think it would be between him and Matt Smith, who I really liked as a doctor. But yes, I'm going to say David Tennant is my favourite Doctor Who. (laughs) 
Now, luckily enough, um, in my capacity as a uh, journalist, author, interviewer, uh, host, and Doctor Who fan, I've been lucky enough to meet all the living doctors. Now, so I've definitely got an opinion hats, uh, on, on this question. So now the big debate begins, you know, who's the best Doctor Who? I, I was saying at the start that uh, this is a show that's had an incredible life. I mean, 56 years after it started, it's still here. The only person at the time who predicted it would run forever was William Hartnell, who played the the first Doctor. Um, William Hartnell, um, you know, known for, um, you know, not so much family-friendly roles at the time, you know, very strict and enforcer character. Um, and, uh, you know, he suddenly became an icon to millions of, uh, of children originating the role of Doctor Who. But, uh, you know, never normally sort of tops the polls as the as the best Doctor. Was it because it was in, in, in black and white? Was it so long ago? I don't know. He originated the role. He was followed by uh, Patrick Troughton, of course, and they invented the concept of regeneration. And this is how the Doctor Doctor as a Time Lord has been able to uh, come back and wear so many different faces by regenerating um, whenever their body is worn out, or more likely when it's time for contract renegotiation with the BBC. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they came up with the concept. Now, um, before we heard from the voice of the Daleks, Nicholas Briggs, now let's get his theory on who's the best Doctor Who. The only reason Doctor Who is still on is because of Patrick Troughton. As the second Doctor, he was the first to have to pull off a regeneration and convince the audience he was a completely different person and yet the same person. He, he made the show continue by doing that. And he also created the character we now recognise as the Doctor because far more than William Hartnell, the first Doctor, did, or the way he was written, uh, he set out the idea that there are big terrible things out there in the universe and we must fight them not just run back to the TARDIS and because he established that kind of heroic doctor who was on a mission to do good in the universe who was also a bit quirky a bit not what you expect in a way all these people I would controversially suggest who've played the doctor since are consciously or unconsciously to some extent doing an impersonation of Patrick Troughton. That's why the best doctor is Patrick Troughton, my personal favourite. Thank you, Nick Briggs, who makes a very good argument there. And let's, uh, you and I, discuss three through six. So following Patrick Troughton was John Pertwee. What Mm. did you make of him? Well, I mean... Can I just say that me growing up, Patrick Troughton was my first experience of Doctor Who. Oh, and what I remember, and I totally agree with Nick, what I remember it was his voice. He had this incredible voice. And I remember that, to me, was the voice of Doctor Who. John Pertwee, I really liked. I liked he had, he had the quirkiness. He had the malleability. He had the switch from, from, from danger to, to humor to, to oddness, which I thought was the setting stone of, 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 the, of Doctor Who. One thing, actually, that the, um, the producers had said about me and Paul McGann was that I was clay and he was porcelain. So I was malleable mm. as the character of Doctor Who, whereas Paul McGann was porcelain. He was very and, set in stone. And brittle, maybe. Or, yeah, brittle, <laughs> not stone, not set in stone. Back to, sorry, I didn't I'm, I'm glad you're again. over it at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so, so yeah, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because you know, as with life and love, you never forget your first. You know, is your favorite doctor the one you you grew up? It, it's funny mm. as a as a fan. I you know now I take much more pleasure from watching the old episodes than watching the the current episodes. Mm. And John Pertwee, now I absolutely love. I see the genius and mm. the performance. You know, it's it, it it's great. And and as a kid, I I never really liked. Tom Baker, he was just too weird for me. But now, of course, I see that he's playing an alien, which is what the character right, is. So right. it makes sense. Makes makes total sense. And I, 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 looking back on it now, I have the same feeling. I mean, I, I mean, I, skipping ahead, but my my favorite is not in the top six. My favorite actually was Chris Eccleston, personally. For, I didn't like Peter Davidson. I thought Peter Davidson was too weak and a bit soppy and floppy. I mean, you, you, you dislike him so much, you call him Peter Davidson, where, of course, it was Peter Davison. So it shows how much attention you were paying to his episodes. <laughs> no, we're not cutting it out. <laughs> I should know that That's I'm a fan. That's so annoise, that was, that Peter was, Davison. So, and Peter Davison... You know, but I did. I thought he. That's was a my bit... childhood. You're crushing on Peter Davison was David, my childhood but, yeah, hero. Peter Davison was also a vet. To me, he was a vet before he was Doctor Who. And you mean it, he was in the TV series? There was a TV series in England, which is a wonderful TV series in England, which I grew up with. And then suddenly seeing him walking out of the TARDIS, I had real trouble with. It's my first time of actors, you know, know knowing an actor before and then seeing him play something else and trying to believe that he was. Well, it's interesting because, as we said before, Tom Baker literally stepped off a building site right. into the in, into the TARDIS. Right, which makes sense. And certainly, um, he's probably the most identifiable yes. with with the role. Yes. So, what do you think made Tom so iconic? Uh, Nothing, clearly. No, no, it was. I'm just trying to think. But was it the scarf? The hat and scarf. It was yeah. the scarf. It was yeah. the hat and scarf. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was that, that's what you, you think of Tom Baker. You think of that long knitted scarf. And the nose. So it was, that was created Big by nose. Jude Hudson, the costume designer. Yes, so, it, well, so, well, but was it? Maybe Tom Baker walked in one, and often with costume people. Yeah. The, I, I go to a lot of auditions. I'm not wearing what I'm wore to the audition in the actual show I'm doing because they say that looks good on you, that's right for the character, blah, blah. So maybe maybe Tom Baker walked in with that long knit, knitted mm. scarf. Maybe his grandmother knitted it for him. Do we know this? Maybe she did. Well, the, the costume creator had so much wool to make a bunch of variety of scarves, but she thought she just had to use all the wool in one scarf. So that is the, <laughs> that is the legend. Really? And that's how the, the story came, came about. I like you know? that. And, uh, you know, Tom Baker was always tripping over it on his way to the coach and horses at lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> to get a few drinks with Jeff Bernard <laughs> and uh, all the fellow drinkers of 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 the day. <laughs> they were going to knit a doctor at one point, but they chose Paul again <laughs> for that as well. And uh, the I can't, version would have been better. And I, I more can't let you dis Peter Davison because after the seven years of of, of Tom Baker, mm. suddenly Peter Davison comes in with a, a youthful yes. energy and innocence. I always think whatever the part is, whether it's James Bond, Batman, Doctor Who, you play the opposite of what went before. And and that's certainly what he did. And he brought a fresh-faced enthusiasm to it, a likability. Um, you know, certainly my childhood hero and, um, you know, was was the childhood hero of uh, of, of David Tennant, of, of, of course, you know. So, oh, he um, was. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, we were talking before about colourful costumes. A lot of people think Colin Baker mm. was let down by his costume, which was so loud it almost 
obscured yes. the performance. Yes. Again, was that his choice or the director or the, or, or the costume designer? Well, yeah. he wanted he wanted a black leather jacket like your favourite Christopher Eccleston right. got, got, got to wear. Yeah. Instead, he got like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoats cast off. Yes, he did. And, it, and, I, and I didn't like Colin Baker. I found him annoying. I don't know why. He it was, was it overshadowed was, by that outfit. The outfit was ridiculous. It was, but I don't know. It was, wasn't just the outfit. There was something about him. I find him just grating. And I, I can never work out what it was. Well, uh, he, he seemed a bit grumpy at the start, mm-hmm. you know. I would have been if I'd had to wear that, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, Come exactly. on, maybe, let's face maybe it. Maybe given up on the coat, mm. you know. So Colin Baker, um, you know, was very highly criticised at, at the time and actually sort of lost lost the role. And, um, you know, he was, he was replaced uh, in, in the part and was not happy about it. And uh, he refused to go back and film his regeneration scene into Sylvester McCoy. Um, luckily, he has had the chance to be reborn as Doctor doing the Big Finish audios. He's continued to uh, play the part on audio uh, and has actually given the performance minus the coat, you know. And then on, on audio... You, you see how uh, how good he is, or hear how good he is, or hear how good he is. Yes, rather. Thank you very, thank you very much. At least one of us is professional round <laughs> here. Um, now let's hear from actress Amy Louise Pemberton. Now she should know sci-fi. She stars in the current series Legends of Tomorrow, and in those Big Finish audios, she was a companion to Sylvester McCoy's Doctor Who. I wonder is her best Doctor Who. I remember being at the Chicago TARDIS convention for Thanksgiving and myself and this particular person was there and all the cast we went out to the House of Blues for dinner and <laughs> the band started to play and my favourite doctor got up with his walking stick and went over to the dance floor and just started having the best boogie I've ever seen anyone have and he got the whole entire club up and dancing and it was just the most insane atmosphere so um this standing alone this is this is my reasoning for saying he's my favorite doctor as well but um he's such a wonderful wonderful guy he's a movie star he's scottish he's the one and only the very very lovely sylvester mccoy that's who my favorite doctor is because he can truly boogie all night long well, there's an argument. Thank wow. you, Amy Louise uh, Pemberton. Sylvester McCoy, Emma, has she got a point? Well, yeah. I mean, I, Sylvester McCoy, I mean, I thought he really had an air of mystery. He really kept you guessing. I mean, there was some speculation at the time that the, he, it might have been, he might have been the character Merlin. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think he was a really good doctor. And then Doctor Who went off the air for a number of years, um, and then it came back with a one-off performance by Paul McGann <coughs> in the TV movie. We'll excuse uh, our illustrious uh, colleague Harry Van Gorkum from this. Anything to add about uh, Paul, Paul McGann? Sorry, Harry. Um uh, Paul McGann, I love. He's not my favourite doctor, but I love him. You see, I, I kind of fell in love with him and with Nell and I, and then after that, he could do no wrong, as far as I could see. So I thought he was great. So, now, <laughs> Doctor Who came back uh, with uh, Russell T. Davis, a whole bunch of enthusiasm, a whole new era. Uh, it's been a great success, a global success this time, and a lot of the praise for that must go to Christopher Eccleston, uh, who brought the Doctor back, but quit after one series. But uh, he left quite an impact, didn't he, Harry? Oh, he was great. He was great. Um, I'm a bit biased because I worked with Chris Eccleston on Gone in 60 Seconds, in which I was gone in 59. But um, <laughs> that's, that's another story. But uh, Chris, Chris, I, I became friends with Chris, and he's such a down-to-earth, 
no, uh, can I say bullshit kind of guy. And that is actually how he played the doctor to me. He he brought he brought to me uh, an element of street to it, which it hadn't had before. He was a much harder uh, streetwise character than he had been before, and I really liked his quirkiness and his and his and his his vulnerability too. I mean, he's 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 a very strong actor, Chris Eccleston. But he he was when he was scared, he was really scared, and when he was angry, he was really angry. And I think he brought a different level of acting to the role. Um, in fact, when he regenerated, his re- regeneration scene is fantastic. It's, he actually uses the word fantastic, doesn't he? When he does, because yeah. that's it, because he says, he says, he, he has this lovely speech when he goes, Rose, you were fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And you know what? So was I. And it's almost like he's giving himself a pat on the back to say that I did a good job on this, but I'm going to move on. I think he modernized Doctor Who. Yeah. I think he brought it into the into a different generation, and with Billy Piper as well. And with Billy, exactly with Billy great Piper. Together. Being a, she was so popular. Yeah, at the time. and they and they 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 were very they were they were a great team. Yeah, they were great foil for each other. Yeah, they 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 were both very unequal or unequal standing. So definitely, Chris Eccleston to me was was a really is a really strong contender for a, for a great Doctor Who. And he was followed by someone who brought something new to the role, and that is romance. The reason that. David Tennant is my favourite Doctor, is because of the emotions involved. The Doctor has two hearts, and I've always thought, therefore, he must love and feel with double the amount of the rest of us as human beings. That had never really been played so much with by the history of the show. But Emma mentioned Billy Piper there as Rose Tyler. They were a couple in love. The romance there was something we hadn't seen before in Doctor Who. And David Tennant's Doctor loved with both his hearts. That It was a show that had always made me feel excitement, made me feel scared. This took it to a whole new romantic level with David Tennant. And for that reason, to me, he stands head, shoulders and sneakers above the other Doctors. Yeah, I, I got to say, I loved him as well. He was cool, sexy, romantic, um, and I slept in his bed. <laughs> Sadly, he was not in it. <laughs> but yeah, he'd probably be my favourite as well. He, he brought, he did bring that new element to the Doctor. So uh, you know, Harry, uh, you know, has gone for Christopher Eccleston. We've both gone for uh, David Tennant. Uh, Matt Smith has the very difficult role of stepping into the shoes of of Tennant, who had brought a whole new fan base uh, to the the role, an international one, an increasingly female one. And Matt Smith is in as as this sort of young doctor. He again comes in with, you know, an accomplished actor at that point, but not a household name. And he was on a hiding to nothing because everyone had loved Tennant so much. But he was absolutely brilliant. He pulled it off, didn't he? Yeah, Yeah, he really did. I thought thought Matt Matt Smith is my choice for number two. I thought he was absolutely brilliant in it. As you said... The mantle, the, the, the gaunt that had been thrown down by David Tennant, who I think was, I mean, I watched his regeneration again recently and it was incredibly emotional. You're right, with the, the love he had for her and, and the love she had for him and that 
that's the first time the regeneration that was brought into it. And um, Matt Smith was the youngest doctor yeah, as well, wasn't yeah. he? But he, I thought he was great. He was a total badass. And what had he done before this? What really had, what funny. Had Matt Smith done before? He'd done the TV show Party Animals. He'd done the play The History Boys, um, the show that made stars out yeah. of uh, James Corden, Dominic Cooper, so but many he others. But he wasn't, a, he wasn't much of a household name before this, was he? No, but he had auditioned um, to play Dr. Watson in Sherlock um, just before. So he was on the radar, right, right. Um, of, of course, of the, of the producer of, of Doctor Who, uh, who saw him again a few weeks later uh, for, uh, for for Doctor Who, and then and then brought him in. But is he better as Prince Philip in the Crown? Philip, yeah, he's Philip, he's brilliant as Prince Philip in the Crown. Yeah, he's I brilliant. Think, is I think, he? Is I think, he? I think he's. Is he better as Philip than he well, was that, as the Doctor? <laughs> that, that 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 shows a, that shows how good his acting is. That he can switch from Doctor <gasps> so Who to good. playing somebody. So good, in character. fact, that he is the only Doctor Who actor to be nominated for an Emmy. He was uh, Emmy nominated for his performance as Prince Philip in the Crown, um, and as we learned earlier, Peter Capaldi was Oscar nominated uh, for his uh, short short film, but uh, he comes in next as Doctor Number 12. And uh, what did we think of Peter Capaldi's era? Well, strange. I mean, to go from youth to age in one fell swoop. Um, but I think it was a brave, brave move by the producers to do that because they. Could oh, have I think they up. made a mistake because they focused in that first episode on how much older he was, and 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 I didn't see. I mean, the the point is, you know, he's he's thousands of, of years old, right, so right. it's all about his his physical appearance. And I I think the show went off the rails a bit in his first season because of being too obsessed with that. I mean, Peter Capaldi comes into it as a hugely established actor from projects like the like the thick of it, uh, and so so many. Many others, but uh, yeah, he uh, he d- didn't have the whole sort of matinee idol youth appeal of David Tennant and Matt Smith. Did that harm him? Well, the interesting thing, as you said, that is that when you first see him when he regenerates, he is he they, for some reason they make him have very crazy old man hair, and he looks like an older character. And as the show goes on, you see he actually gets younger and younger and starts to look like the Peter Picaldi we know. So in some ways, they, they must have realized their mistake, I feel, and they let him be more himself than, than the older, doddering character he started off as. I, I thought he was a bit theatrical with it. I thought he was a little bit too large with it in times. He his, was, yeah, I think his, he was his too. His final regeneration speech goes on for, I think, about five minutes. Um, which is almost like a sort of uh, a statement to the world. Well, they did a whole baby. episode around his exactly. regeneration, exactly. Like the Christmas was, special, yeah. you know, it was, so it was, it was a, a bit drawn sp- out. But I, yeah. I liked him. I liked him. I just thought he was a bit theatrical with it. And he's got such a great accent, though. I love that oh, Scottish accent. Voice. He's got a great voice. face. Yeah. He's, I mean, yeah. he's a great actor. I just thought he maybe made some not the greatest choices. Yeah, he wasn't the best doctor, but he was, he was very good. Not as sexy as David Tennant, though. And now on to the current incarnation of the doctor, Jodie Whittaker. Uh, of course, this made huge news around the universe when finally, and not before time, the Doctor uh, became a, a woman. Each of you, what was your reaction to that change? Well, I thought it was about bloody time, quite honestly, that there was a female Doctor. And I know it had been discussed in the past, back in the 80s. Uh, Joanna Lumley was actually talked about. And Helen so, Mirren was talked about Helen well. Mirren was talked about, and so was Dawn French. There was a, there was a whole slew... A lot of them that would have been fantastic. I know Joanna Lumley did it for comic comic relief, but I think she would have been one of the best doctors. She would have been lovely. So, and, and Jodie Whittaker, it was perfect timing, especially in 2017. Things were just changing for women with 
the Me Too and the Time's Up movement and it was about time we needed a female doctor and I think Jodie Whittaker was fantastic. She, she'd just been on Broadchurch. David Tennant was on that too. So I think she was a perfect choice and she's great and the ratings have gone up. I, I think she's a fantastic doctor. You mentioned the comic relief special there in the mid-90s. I mean, earlier you'd uh, you'd told us how uh, Hugh Grant um, was considered or turned down the role of uh, Doctor Who when it, it came back. And he, Richard E. Grant, uh, Joanna Lumley, uh, Ro- Rowan Atkinson and others had played the Doctor in that comic relief special, <laughs> which I thoroughly uh, recommend uh, seeking out and, uh, and, and watching. Now, um, so Joanna Lumley did become the first female Doctor in 1996, but, you know, that was only five or six minutes. Now we've had a whole season of Jodie Whittaker. What was your reaction to the casting, uh, Harry, and then your reaction to how she delivered in the part? I was, I was, uh, I was so happy, tell you the truth. Um, I thought it was a great decision. I thought it was about time too. Uh, it's the one role where a, a man or woman can play it. It's, 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 it's a, it's a vessel which in the brain is the brain is in. You know, that's the whole thing about the Doctor. He is just an outer casing to this great mind and this 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 alien traveller. He's uh, trans, essentially. Exactly, it could be anyone. And um, but I think she's brilliant in it. I think I think they've made it more of a team effort uh, around her, her fam, um, which I think works really well. There's been uh, a lot of uh, criticism uh, and a lot of love. It seems like a, a mixed bag about this series in in terms of the uh, the performance. Um, you know, a lot of the the sort of writing has been a bit a bit rough. So it, it's a performance that has really you know divided the Doctor Who fan community. Um, which way do you uh, fall, Emma, on Jodie Whittaker's performance in the role? I think she's. I think she brings everything to it. She's herself, but she's quirky. I think she's perfect for the doctor. And she's got a doctorly nose, <laughs> which I think is important. Wait, what is a doctorly nose? Is it big? Is it pointy? Strong, is it strong? noble nose. I've got a big, big Dutch nose here. It's not, it's not big enough. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm off to book a nose job so I can achieve my dream of playing Doctor Who. You know, Who's the Best started out as a series of live debate shows at Hollywood's premier art house movie theatre, Arena Cine Lounge, which is located on Sunset Boulevard, right in the heart of Los Angeles. It's known for staging great films and great events. Talking of which, it's where we're recording this podcast today. Check out the venue at arenascreen.com. Now, our audience at the Who's the Best Doctor Who live show voted in the room for the best doctor. So did members of the Brits in LA community, um, a large group of which we're all a part. Now, we've combined their scores uh, with the votes of our guests and my co-host today to come up with a result. I am ready to announce the result of the public vote. Drum roll. In third place, Matt Smith. Oh, well done, Matt. In second place, it's a tie. What? Incredibly, with all those votes, a draw between Tom Baker and... Jodie Whittaker. Yay! That's brilliant. What a great result. And first place in Who's the Best Doctor by a landslide. The winner is 
David Tennant. Oh, yes, yes. My choice. Oh, it's a great choice. Yeah. David Tennant. Oh, give it to him. And now, giving his reaction to the choice of David Tennant as the best Doctor Who is David Tennant. <laughs> David. Well, 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 what can I say? I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled and honoured. What do I get? What's my prize? Is it a, is it like a, do I get a plate? Do I get some kind of silverware? Uh, whatever it is, I will receive it gladly and heartily. I'm not sure that I like the, there being a competitive element to the doctors because we're all the same person. Ultimately, we're all facets of the same time, Lord. Having said that, I'm delighted to be at the top of the pile today. So God bless you all. And uh, thank you very, very much. And what a thrill. I'm very honoured. Thank you. Thank you, David Tennant. Undoubtedly the best Doctor Who. Thank you to our other guests, Michelle Collins, Nicholas Briggs and Amy Louise Pemberton. Thanks to our podcast producer, Dave King and composer, Liz Rossi. Thank you so much to you for listening. Uh, Thank you, Emma Pine. Yes, the people have chosen. The people chose right. I would agree with all of those. And where can the people learn more about you, Emma? Oh, you can follow me on Instagram at Emma M. Pine and my website is Emma Pine, P-Y-N-E dot com. Final thoughts, Harry? Well, listen, I like Chris Eccleston, but you know what? David Tennant, great bloke. Glad he won. And uh, where can people find your new book? Well, um, this, 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 <laughs> this podcast has actually prompted me to start writing a book, actually. <laughs> Oh, what it'll be called? Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Oh, well, thank <laughs> you. No, no, that's wrong. Coulda been, shoulda been, woulda been. Do that again. I think you were right first time. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, 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 actually, no. yes. Look for look for his his new book, The Nearly Man, no, uh, being written could've before. Should have been. Could have been, been. Not bitter no, at all. Could have yes. been. Yes. The Doctor once Who memories. Once bitter, twice shy. <laughs> that's once bitter, twice shy. Coming soon. <laughs> one from bitter, Harry Van Gorkum. And uh, uh. coming soon will be the next episode of. Who's the best? Listener, what did you think of the public's opinion? What did uh, you think of what our guests had to say? We'd love to hear from you. Send us a tweet with your thoughts to at who's the best pod. You can also follow us on Instagram again at who's the best pod. Make sure to stay up with the latest episodes of who's the best. Subscribe, whatever. Give us a, a listen, a rate and a review. Thanks to our podcast producer, Dave King. Thanks to composer Liz Rossi for our theme tune. And most of all, thanks to you, the listener. This is Sandro Minetti saying, see you next time when we'll debate more pop culture icons and decide who's the best. Who's the best? best. This podcast has been a Right Angles production. Right Angles.